Support for the MPTE Clinical Files comes from the PT Hustle. Have you failed the MPTE more than once and are you a bad test taker? The PT Hustle is the leading NPTE preparation company that specializes in one-on-one -on -one coaching for physical therapists who have failed the MPTE. The PT Hustle focuses on helping students figure out why they are failing and then work with each student one-on-one, -on -one, week by week, to achieve a passing score fast. So forget about the constant frustration of not being able to get over a 600. Sign up for your first evaluation today to finally figure out why you are not passing. Sign up at www.thepthustle.com. Again, that is www.thepthustle.com. The PT Hustle. Identify. Execute. Dominate. The MPTE Clinical Files is intended to be used as a learning resource for unlicensed physical therapists preparing for the National Physical Therapy Examination. The MPTE Clinical Files is intended literally for entertainment and educational purposes only. No clinical decision-making should be based on only one source. Therefore, this podcast should not be used as the sole source of personal, clinical, legal, or medical advice. While care has been taken to ensure the accuracy of all answers and rationales, on a rare occasion, mistakes and factual errors can be present, as we are only human. From the creator of the PT Hustle, this is MPTE Clinical Files, one mock MPTE-based question told and solved week by week. Thank you for tuning in to the next NPTE Clinical File. My name is Kyle Rice, the NPTE Prep Coach, founder of the PT Hustle, and creator of the NPTE Prep Success Course 2.0. If you haven't already joined the free Facebook group called Smart MPTE Prep, you need to do so today. Each and every week in the group, we go over strategies, tips, and tricks in order to boost your MPTE score, but at the same time, improve your overall MPTE preparation. So if you haven't joined that group, go ahead and do so today, and I will get you in. All right, so this week, we're going over a patient named Amy. She's actually the sister of John, who we went over last week. So if you haven't gone through that uh, clinical file as of yet, the last one, you need to do so today because that was a good one. All right. But this week, Amy, she is a 35-year-old female. She presents to an outpatient clinic with complaints of four out of 10 diffuse lower back pain that radiates slightly above her posterior right knee. She states that her pain started eight days ago after she attempted to lift her brother at home. Upon examination, the patient's lumbar spine is hypomobile. However, her bilateral lower extremity mobility is unremarkable. Which of the following interventions would be the most effective in reducing the patient's symptoms? So we have A, lumbar high-velocity low-amplitude thrust manipulation, B, lumbar mechanical traction at 20% of the body weight, C, is right sciatic nerve tensioners, and D is repeated McKenzie extension in standing. All right, so let's take a look at this case. So we have Amy, 35-year-old female. She's just coming into the clinic with this lower back pain. Not too bad, like moderate, right? And she is saying that it radiates slightly above her posterior right knee. Already we can start to you know, gather some information from that. You know, are we looking at a herniated disc, uh, possibly a facet issue, uh, maybe a sciatic issue? She's a little on the younger side for something like that, but p potentially, okay? So we have that. The next sentence, it states that 
her pain started eight days ago. So we're in that subacute phase and she attempted to lift her brother at home. And that's really where this, this whole thing kind of came from. So that really starts to make us think about possibly a herniated disc that's going on. But again, we don't really know. And if, is it beneficial to really think that way? Is it beneficial to start thinking that this is a herniated disc? Ah, not sure about that. Let's continue on. So it says upon examination, the patient's lumbar spine is hypomobile. All right. However, her bilateral lower extremity mobility is unremarkable. Okay. So it doesn't seem like she has a lot going on with the lower extremities at this point, but the lumbar spine's hypomobile. So it definitely seems that there's something specific going on there. So which of the following interventions would be the most effective in reducing the patient's symptoms? So as you really look at this, again, it's just like uh, some symptoms, you know, some signs, you know, that this patient has. But is anything really jumping out at you at this point? Can you really pinpoint exactly what's going on? It doesn't really sound like a facet problem because of her the way that she got injured, potentially. Um, we just don't know. So let's look at our interventions and see if we can, you know, start to make sense of this. So the first one is A, lumbar high-velocity, low-amplitude thrust manipulation. All right. And so with this specific answer, it's really interesting because when it comes down to manipulations, um, there is what is known as a clinical prediction rule. Sometimes you'll see the letters CPR together. All right. And if you're not familiar with what a CPR is um, and not cardiopulmonary resuscitation or anything like that, um, a CPR is a clinical prediction rule. And what that really is, is it's a cluster or a collection of different signs and symptoms or special tests that really when they're all together, when they're positive or present, it increases the likelihood that a condition is present or a specific uh, intervention will be successful in treating the situation. All right. And so that's known as a clinical prediction rule. And so there is a lumbar spine thrust manipulation clinical prediction rule of when, you know, these specific things are present. So hold on, let's go over what that clinical prediction rule is for this manipulation. It is, first of all, when pain is lasting less than 16 days, number one. Number two is no symptoms are distal to the knee. Number three is the FABQ, also known as the Fear Avoidance Belief Questionnaire, score is less than 19. Four, internal rotation of greater than 35 degrees for at least one of the hips is present. And five, hypomobility of at least one level of the lumbar spine. All right, so those are the five different conditions, the five different factors that we're really looking for in order to see if a thrust manipulation has a high likelihood of being successful, being very effective in treating this particular patient. And so in the question, does she have uh, pain that is lasting less than 16 days? Yeah, her pain is, uh, is, is eight days out. Um, are the symptoms radiating below the knee? No, they're above the knee. All right, so that satisfies the, the next condition. No symptoms distal to the knee. We don't know about the FABQ. It doesn't really tell us that in the question at all, so we can't make any assumptions based upon that. 
Her hip mobility is found to be unremarkable, so that satisfies an internal rotation greater than 35 degrees for one hip, all right, because the normal range is higher than that. So we're good there. And the last bit is, you know, she does have a hypermobile lumbar spine. And that's our last condition, which says hypermobility of at least one level of the lumbar spine. All right, so she satisfies four out of the five factors, four out of the five conditions of this clinical prediction rule. All right, and Julie Fritz, who uh, really researched this and, and has gotten a lot of data, you know, the overall likelihood ratio for four out of five conditions present is a 24.3. And what that's really saying is that there is a high likelihood, a great chance that if a thrust manipulation is done to this particular patient, that it will yield effective or significant improvements in the patient's symptoms. The patient satisfies the clinical prediction rule. This is a patient where it, there is an indication for the manipulation. A is correct. All right, but we need to look at B, C, and D and see if they are possibly more effective than A. So B is lumbar mechanical traction at 20% of the patient's body weight. All right, and with that specific one, you really have to look at, you know, mechanical traction. First of all, there's not a lot of evidence that's out there right now to support mechanical traction to say that it is really effective. All right, when it's in relationship to a sham or placebo method. All right, so that's first and foremost. But secondly, it does say that it's at 20% of the body weight. Now, if you've ever used mechanical traction, you know that the, the patient is laying on a table and there is a certain level of friction from their body that must be overcome in order for you to actually get the, the, the traction, the actual movement. And so 20% is typically the level of body weight that's required just to overcome the friction, all right? And you need to have more than that in order to really get that traction going through the lumbar spine, all right? So typically that you'll see the number starting off at about 25% and working their way up to 50% of the body weight. So the fact that it says 20% here lets me know that, listen, that's just not enough to even overcome the friction, all right? The body's friction on the table. So is this going to be effective? More than likely not, okay? And definitely not as effective as A, all right? So B is out. C, sciatic nerve tensioners or right sciatic nerve tensioners. Now, here's the deal. With sciatic nerve issues, typically you'll start off with something a bit lighter, like a, a nerve glider, what they call a nerve glider or slider. Um, so you definitely want to look at that if you're not familiar with those. But typically we'll start off with a nerve glider or slider first in order to get the nerve moving rather than do a nerve tensioner, which is usually a later exercise or later intervention typically because that can be pretty provocative, all right? And so to say that we're going to do a nerve tensioner here, you know, nowhere in the question does it really even state that the person's having a sciatic nerve problem, all right? Um, and so we can't really assume that it's sciatic, um, and there's no reason to believe that the sciatic nerve tensioner would be more effective than, than A, which is the, the lumbar manipulation, all right? So C is out, and then we have D which is often a answer that is confused. Um, this is the second most selected one, and it's repeated McKenzie extension in standing. 
Now, this one can be eliminated pretty easily because nowhere in the question did we say anything about the fact that repeated motions were done during the assessment. And we know that extension centralizes the symptoms. All right. If you're not familiar with McKenzie or centralization of symptoms, that is that is definitely a concept that's a target for any practice exam and potentially your MPTE. So you definitely need to understand that. But in your evaluation, in your examination, you should always do a repeated motions assessment. And that's where the patient will go repeatedly into extension in order to see if the symptoms increase down the leg or if they decrease and start to go up towards the lower uh, lumbar spine. And that is going to be what is called a centralization. Those symptoms move out of the leg, into the glutes, into the lower back. That's a centralization. We don't know that that's even happening. So how can we say that repeated McKenzie extension and standing is even going to make her better? We would be guessing that. All right. So the fact that we don't have that information makes D not the best answer to choose. Plus, more than likely, McKenzie extension would be not the first exercise that we would do with this particular patient. There is a protocol for using McKenzie extension. And again, you're typically doing that in a position such as prone lying or something along the lines of that. All right. And so that really sums up, you know, our answer choices here. Again, the answer is A, you know, lumbar high velocity, low amplitude thrust because it satisfies the, the clinical prediction rule or this patient's scenario satisfies the clinical prediction rule. All right. Um, the rest of the answers we've already gone through, they're just not as effective as A. And some of them are just not effective really at all because we don't know if she's having those problems. So if you got this question right, fantastic. If you, if you understood the CPR and were able to use that and figure out this, this is an advanced question. I congratulate you on that. But at the same time, I need you to take yourself to the next level. Could you still... If this question was asking you about the cervical spine and understanding the cervical prediction rule, clinical prediction rule, could you be able to tell if the person had a myelopathy, right? Could you be able to tell if the person had a radiculopathy? There are other clinical prediction rules that are out there that you definitely need to be aware of because they can easily show up on the exam. They're common. They're what we use in the PT clinic. All right. So continue to challenge yourself. Continue to take yourself to the next level. All right. I'll see you next week for the next MPTE Clinical File. Have a good one. Thank you for tuning in to the MPTE Clinical Files. Support for the MPTE Clinical Files is provided by the PT Hustle. Have you failed the MPTE? What are you going to do differently this time to get a different result? You should try one-on-one -on -one coaching in order to get you the direction and structure that you need to be successful. Stop guessing whether you're going to pass on your next attempt. Sign up for an in-depth MPTE evaluation today to figure out the quickest way to passing the boards. Sign up at thepthustle.com forward slash services. Again, that is thepthustle.com forward slash services.